You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. You can pause and do that right now so you don't forget. And when you get back, we'll jump right into today's call. I'm in the process of opening a yoga studio um, in New York City in Astoria, and it's a really up-and-coming neighborhood, popular neighborhood. There's a huge market for yoga here, and what I'm what I want this space to be is a healing space as well as um, a yoga studio and a little bit of a spiritual resource, and that doesn't really exist here. And so, um, it's been a process. It kind of came about suddenly, and I wasn't. In hindsight, I guess I had been building to this point, but when it came about, it felt very sudden. (laughs) And so it started in about January and it took, and I located a space and it didn't work out. And so it took about six months to find the right space. And so once that has happened, we're now um, waiting on permits with the city and just everything is ready to go. I just, it's kind of like the powers that be need to push it along through. And so it's this um, dance of like planning and getting ready and anticipating. And I like, I'm a huge planner. I love it. But then also it's like, it's just not time yet. And so it's this hurry up and wait game that keeps happening at, you know, all different levels. And so it's, a, it's, and this is a life lesson for me. I'm a hundred, I've, I've been here before. <laughs> so I do feel like I'm in a much better place with it than I normally am. However, this one feels different in that there are things that, um, I need to do and I need to have ready. So that way, like in this, in this particular opportunity, it costs us money if I'm not ready. <laughs> and so, um, there's this balance of like the planning and getting everything going and, um, having to, you know, be very flexible with a timeline I can't control, which is, it's difficult. It's difficult, especially when you're in that planning mode. So, and you have a vision for the studio or for your relationship with the studio that's kind of unique and I really love and you wanted to talk about, which is that you wish to practice there. You wish to be a practitioner there. And so tell me a little bit more about how that came about. Why is that such an important value for you? I mean, the studio is being created because it's a space I need that it doesn't exist. And I know I'm not the only one with this need. Um, I've been teaching yoga in the neighborhood for um, a few years now, and I have a lot of friends in the community, and there's also a big self-care piece. It's a very, um, a neighborhood full of young families, so there's a lot of, you know, mom self-care that's needed, 
and myself as well. <laughs> and um, I like I also think that that has an impact on the studio. Like a lot of studios that I practice at, the, the um, owners aren't practicing there. You're not seeing them. And I can understand why. I get, like as a teacher, sometimes it's difficult to be a student in the room and taking classes. However, um, I have a home practice, but I don't love it. It's not as beneficial to me as getting lost in a class. Like there's something about that that I really need. And so I'm creating this space out of partially my need, but I also don't want to be in a situation where it's built around me. That is absolutely what I don't want to create. I want a place where um, teachers can come in and feel empowered to teach about something they're passionate about. That's if you're excited about it, you're going to communicate it in a really great way. And I want that. And there's plenty of things that aren't being addressed that, you know, through just like a regular yoga class that we can spend some time on. And I like, I can't wait. Like I take, I take classes all the time. I take workshops all the time. I love to learn. We're sitting next to a stack of books here. Like they're everywhere. And so I'm looking for it as a place like I can finally find some teachers for me too. Cause I've been in a position where I haven't, I, I don't have a teacher right now. And I'm ready. <laughs> so you want to create a space that's going to attract the people that you want to study with. That I want to study with, but also that I'm, like that others want to study with too. Like it's not, it's not just built on my needs, but it's, it, it incorporates my needs. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And I really love this idea that you have because you're absolutely right that a studio where the owner doesn't practice and doesn't and only shows up in an administrative way I think that there's less heart in that type of a studio and so I really love this vision at the same time I see some big challenges with it and I've never owned a studio but I remember a conversation I had with somebody who was a gym owner she wasn't a studio owner but she was wanting me to teach yoga at her gym. And I was like, well, are you going to show up in the classes? Because if you don't show up, then the, re the other gym members are not going to see the value of having yoga there. And she's like, you know what, to be honest, I want to go somewhere else to take yoga classes because when I'm at that gym, all I can think about is everything that needs to be done. So, I mean, I imagine that you've already thought through that kind of... <laughs> scenario yeah. what like what's your approach to that do you think that you're going to be able to move through that how do you, how are you planning to to work with that particular issue so one i um i have like a, a yoga running buddy like my yoga my yoga best friend and i had a conversation with her and i just said i need i need some help with you to keep me in this commitment because we know that I need this, like we know where this is coming from. And um, we've for years taken yoga together. And so I just, that was one thing that I said to her is like, if you see this falling apart, like uh, we may need to have a conversation. You may need to like, we're gonna navigate that, but I may need your help. And so that was kind of the first thing. Um, partially, I think it has to do with the teachers that I'm gonna hire. Um, I, even as a teacher, taking classes, you can still kind of get caught in the traps of like what's going on in the, the organ, like the sequencing and um, that can be difficult too. So there are some teachers that I know off the bat that I would really like to have at the studio because I can drop into that space very easily with them. I can, I can be a student with them. And so that when I'm hiring teachers is going to be something that I'm con considering and keeping an eye on. Um, another thing is to be able to build my schedule in a way 
that will um, where those teachers are organized and within the schedule, then I can say, okay, during this time I'm not working, that's when I'm taking a class. Um, and then just in general, I like when I get on my mat, there's just like, this is the space. And I, um, I do a lot of energy work and I can kind of just contain my space. Like, and I do a lot with list making. I'm very, very organized and very, very much a planner. And so I think one of the keys of like all the things that need to be done is like get it on the list, get it out of my head. And then I have a breathwork practice. I have a, a body awareness practice that getting myself into my body and then I can go. Great. That's, these are my hopes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you can only make a plan and then adapt that plan as you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So what questions do you have for me around this? How I mean, can I help you? Have you encountered, have you encountered studio owners that practice at their space? Not very many. Not, right. not really. Mostly they just tell me how much they struggle with it. Okay. Mostly okay. they tell me, I want to get back to it. I'm trying to get back to it. I'm working on getting back to it. I'm scanning my brain and I don't know of any who I would point out as a role model, like <laughs> do it like this person, but I don't know every studio owner. Right. Right. Well, just in your, in your travels doing this work, yeah. the, do they, um, is it someone that when you think of these people, have they set out what this is the intention of how it's going to be or I don't think so. I think that you have a uniquely mature perspective around this. I think most people start studios. Most people, if they knew how much work it was to start a studio, they wouldn't start it. Mm -hmm. So what tends to happen is that people start studios when they're a little fresher and a little uh, greener, right? Mm -hmm. And so they start with these big stars in their eyes and some of them have the skill set and the personality that they make it work or they happen to be in the right place with the right offering and they make it work even though they're not that experienced. But to tell you the truth, most people who are super experienced yoga teachers would never start a studio because they've been around too long and they've seen firsthand how much work it is. Mm -hmm. So... That's what I see. I see most people starting studios with not enough experience and not enough information. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But I don't see a lot of like the most experienced people in the yoga business starting studios at this stage. So it's interesting because that's a lot of what's coming up um, is that I, you know, I've been studying studios for a while and taking them and teaching and um, even as a, a student. And so a lot of this is through things I've witnessed that didn't work for me. Um, and also like as a teacher, like I just want my own space. <laughs> I want to be able to come in and teach what I want to teach. And I have a lot of things that I want to teach. So there's, there's that, but I also like, you know, I spend a lot of money on trainings. I want to be able to kind of like cultivate that too. <laughs> so in that perspective, um, it's difficult because what I've been kind of like, anxious wise, like in terms of anxiety coming up for me, it's that I see all these things that don't go as well or aren't as well organized. And, you know, that is one of my strengths and I know that. And I'm, um, you know, I have an attention to detail. My work prior to this was in clinical research. And so, and I'm, I'm a scientist by training. So I'm not, I may not be your average yoga teacher. Yeah. And 
in some ways, I think that's very helpful to me. But then seeing all these common denominators between other encounters that I've had, it makes me wonder, is there some common denominator that it's just having a yoga studio or being a business owner that kind of overwhelms you and these things kind of start to happen? And I'm not far enough along to quite know what it is. And so this can be a little bit of a a spiral at times, especially while I'm waiting. I'm just waiting right now for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, since you have this vision and you have this passion, the only way to find out whether you can do it better is to do it. Right. And as long as, you know, the, the, the big downside to human goal setting and ambition is attachment. Mm-hmm. So if you go into this, like, with a yogic mindset, a true yogic mindset of Abhyasa Vairagya, you go in and you're like, I am going to do everything I can do. And I'm going to equally let go of my attachment to the result, attachment to the results of that, those actions. That is the only way to stay sane. And if you do it that way, you can learn no matter what happens, you, yeah. can, you know, you, you will learn, you will grow and you'll figure out what your next phase is, whether it's more studio, bigger studio, changing business model, letting go, whatever it is. But I think that's the piece that humans, all of us have a really hard time putting together is that really that strong work ethic with the letting go of attachment. That is so hard. It's like, that's our lifetime's work. So I do a lot with contemplative contemplative care and um, it's like through the practice of the three tenets. And so it's not knowing, bearing witness, and then compassionate action. Mm-hmm. And um, this actually this whole last week has been about recognizing how that's showing up for me in the studio. Um, it's much more, it's easier to notice when um, I'm in, I work in nursing homes. And so when I'm in that particular setting, I know exactly when it's happening. And this week has been a little bit identifying, oh, I'm in not knowing. That's where I am. And like, you tend to toggle back and forth between not knowing and bearing witness and going back and forth. And then the compassionate action will arise. And sometimes it arises quickly and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's the compassionate action is that toggle back and forth between the not knowing and bearing witness. And so I like, and that, it kind of goes back to how I feel like this, I feel good about this is because I've got, I've got things in place. Like I've got, I've thought about a lot of different things and I've also left space for things to be different because I just don't know yet. Um, And it's also, it's just really exciting. Like I'm so excited to have this space. That was what came up a lot this week for me is that I realized I'm sad. It hasn't gone yet. Like I'm just, I'm ready. (laughs) And, um, so then being with the emotions of just like, Oh, Hey, I'm sad. Like, that's what this is. It's like, there's a little bit of frustration, but it's mostly just like sadness because there are things that I know will be different and I'm, I'm ready. If you are in the middle of the permit process and you're at peace there, (laughs) that's a really good sign. (laughs) I mean, like, and it comes up, like, it's not like I'm completely at peace. You know, there's been a moment like, do I need a new architect? Is that, is that what the issue is? You know, and, um, I'm, I'm involved in the process. If this isn't, I don't have a partner. I didn't want a partner. And my husband is like a surrogate partner at times and also decidedly not a surrogate partner. Um, so there, and like with the architecture, um, the architect and such, it's, you know, I don't know this as well. And so I've had to do a little bit of like trust work where it's like, okay, I've, he came recommended and kind of working through that. And so it's like, it may like going through 
is it something I need to rework? Is it something I just need to learn a little bit more about so that I can be a little more involved? Is it something I just need to say, okay, I'm paying you and this is what it is right now. And it's a little bit of all three. <laughs> So are you, would you describe yourself more as an extrovert or an introvert? You know, I don't know how to answer that for sure. I think if I had to say I'm more introverted because um, I do like my time alone and I need time to process it in work, I become very extroverted and I'm comfortable there, but there are like, when it comes to a little more like the marketing piece and things like that, I, that's definitely not a comfortable space, but when it comes to actually connecting with someone, I'm alive in that space. So I think I, I think it depends. One of the ways that other studio owners have described to me what it's like trying to practice in their own studio is that there's no space for them to just be internal. The moment they walk in the door, people want to talk to them mm -hmm. and they don't feel like they can just be a student, basically, that there's this pressure to be the business owner, the studio owner versus just a practitioner. And for myself, I even avoid public classes a lot of times just because I've been teaching in this town for so long. Mm -hmm. And when I, I don't want to go to a public class, I don't want to walk in and have to make small talk with a whole lot of people before doing my practice. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of resistance that I work through and continue to kind of be in relationship with around going to classes, going to workshops, going to anything um, yoga related, even like a yoga related celebration, because I do best with deeper one-on-one -on -one interactions. So I will meet you for coffee, like, and I will like have a deep conversation with you. i totally happy to do that with anyone, like almost anyone. But as far as like having to have shallow interactions with 10, 12, 15, 20 people, that will drain me. Hmm. And so that's something, I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's something to monitor hmm. as you get started with this is like, what's your capacity to connect with people in a briefer and you know not necessarily deep way because i don't have a good capacity for that i know that about myself but i know that some people do some people like have this capacity to really see humans and feel that make them feel seen and lifted up in a very short span of time and i think that's an important skill set but it's also important to note like how much does that take out of you because people who describe themselves as extroverted tend to get energy from those interactions. They tend to really enjoy having, helping people feel seen and helping people feel special in a really quick amount of time, a lot of people in a quick amount of time. And I, you know, I have so much admiration for people with that skill set. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm frankly a little bit envious of the ones who can do that and feel fed by it. So that's just another uh, thing to, to look at and to notice about yourself. So it, it actually has been addressed in the nursing homework that I do. Um, so I'm an integrative therapist and two days of work, two days a week, I do an eight hour shift in two different nursing homes. And part of that, um, deals with interacting with the staff in a very quick way through, um, handing out essential oils. 
And so I can hand out, you know, about a hundred essential oils in a day while then also having teaching a couple of small 20 minute classes, which with anywhere from, you know, two or three people up to about 15. Um, and also I'm working with the residents too. So it may be a staff class, which is very different than a resident class of varied abilities. And then on top of that, I'm um, doing small mini sessions that are about 20 minutes each um, with anyone in any in any state. You know, I could be sitting with people as they're passing. Um, I could be sitting with a family member. Um, I, I'm often with people as they're having anxiety attacks or they're having very anxious moments. I sit with residents who have dementia or Alzheimer's and are very confused. I can sit with, you know, somebody who's come in just for a new replacement and is doing some therapy and you know, needs a little relaxation for the day. So that work, I have to say, really informed me for the studio and got me ready because I've been doing it about two years now. And that taught me I can teach anybody. Like I can, I can teach in the middle of a nursing home hallway. <laughs> you don't need, there's a lot of conditions we think that we need that we don't need. And if these people who have no skill set in yoga or meditation can drop in in about two minutes, a lot of things can happen. <laughs> Absolutely. And so from that, um, like I would have before had a lot of, t- a lot of difficulty with all those interactions in a day. Mm-hmm. And now, like now with the way you're saying, like people get recharged from it. I do get recharged from those. It does drain me. Like it's, I get recharged in the moment. And then after a longer day, it can, it can drain me. And so that's when I then know I need more quiet time or settling for myself throughout the so like that part of it is interesting because it's like I can see it I see it both like I think I used to be much more introverted but there's also a level of vulnerability that I've gotten a lot more comfortable with in that work and so I also know that that's going to come to be on the mat in terms of practicing in the studio too is that um I'm not there to be anyone but me and that's also how the studio is kind of built too like I'm it's not going to be something to elevate me. That's not what I'm looking for. I think sometimes studios get created that way. Um, it's a space like that's in New York city. There's not a lot of space. And so it's providing it's the name of it is sacred space. And so providing this sacred space for whatever you need, I bear witness all day. You know, that's that I think it's amazing to do that because you see, you have to see who people really are and accept them for who they really are. And so I'm going to have to apply that practice to me. And, you know, it may be that at some point I kind of have to put out there in a newsletter, like, Hey, you're going to see me in classes and yeah, you are, <laughs> you know, and I hope that that too is a little inspiring too, but that you really see. Cause I think a lot of times too, you can get down the path where you're noticing your teachers aren't practicing what they're teaching. And that's, you know, there are periods like right now, I don't have a huge asana practice. Like that's not where my focus is. I'm meditating and I have a lot of other practices, but that's something that's weak for me and I don't want it to be weak anymore. And part of it is because I haven't had the right space to do it in too. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way to organize your schedule so that you have at least like one day per week that is really for you. Um, That's really about recharging. I think that that would be really helpful and important. I think it is for everybody to take a a day, especially like, you know, like maybe Sunday or something like, right. Unless it, it could be different. It could be with the studio schedule. It has to be Monday. Right. Um, Cause a lot of times studios would be busier on weekends, 
but that, that there is a day per week where you really retreat almost to do that recharging. And I think anytime that we create a schedule that is designed to be sustainable, that mm -hmm. we have to really take it like a sacred vow mm -hmm. that we don't, it's, I guess it's about boundaries really mm -hmm. that we need to hold the boundaries for ourselves. And, and I do think that that's one of the huge skills that all teachers and then most especially studio owners need. And I'm getting the sense from you that that's probably something that you're pretty good at that you, you know, based on the work that you've been doing in the nursing homes, um, that that's a skill set that you would have been developing over the past two years where I've gotten a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, you say, if you tell yourself, if you make a promise, this day of the week is for nourishing. I'm not going to go to classes that day unless there's a specific class that I know is going to be like the one class, but then I'm not going to go get on the computer and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to like get caught up in the, in the whirlwind. And so in order to do that, you need a backup person. So I don't know if you've got a manager or an assistant or anything like that, but you are going to need to have some support in order to, to be able to hold the, hold boundaries because what will happen in any kind of business, especially if you've got employees is that everybody will um, not on purpose, but they will make their drama. They'll try to make hand their drama to you. <laughs> They'll try to make their problems, your problems. And uh, do you have any kids? Yeah, I have two kids, eight okay. and five. <laughs> well, this is what children do. So you, you know exactly what I'm talking about where it's like, there's something that I can see very clearly is not a problem for me <laughs> and really doesn't even have to be a problem for my kid, but they're like trying to hand me their problem. And I'm a like, more my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, maybe wait till your kids are teenagers. I don't know, but you, you hear what I'm saying that this yeah. is, this is a, a thing when you have employees and, and I don't think this is not a malicious thing. This is not, this is like kind of just human reaction. Like when we're in a reactive state, we want to give our drama to somebody else. And that's yeah. the role that, you know, the, the studio owner is the mama of the studio. And so that is going to happen. And so of course it does come back to boundaries, but then it also comes back to who's the surrogate, who can do that deflection for you so that you so that it's not a constant bombardment because one thing that happens with our nervous systems and with the work that you do, I'm sure you're familiar with this is like we get worn down mm -hmm. and our resiliency gets lowered. And so it's at, when we're at that vulnerable place of we've been like, we've had, we've been overstimulated for too long that we lose the tools that we need to keep ourselves centered it's built in so that way I have about 20 hours of support in terms of someone running the front desk, managing that kind of thing. And then I've built it in so that way I'm paid for my um, administrative time for about 20 to 25 hours, depending upon how much I want to pay myself. <laughs> um, and I've also had that so that way at some point I may be able to shift that. And this is for, this is for about like the first, the first phase in the building up. And so that way, at some point, I may be able to step out and just hand off my administrative um, payment to someone else. 
also put a limit. I don't really want to teach more than three or four classes. Um, so that's something that I think is going to be useful. Um, I, like, again, because it's also the, the idea that I don't want the studio built around me. I want others coming in. The, um, what I've noticed is that when someone else is anxious, um, I can tend to be the one to kind of come to, to dispel your anxiety. So when you're, you're describing that, I, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely identified and I've done a lot of work to understand and learn what's my anxiety versus someone else's anxiety and what do, what can I help with and what do I want to assist with? Um, or what do I want to bear witness to if not even, not even helping and assisting versus, okay, that's yours and you can keep it and I'm going to gently give it back to you. Um, and I think like what you said about having someone else to do that and kind of bearing that load as an in-between, I hadn't considered it from that perspective. So I think that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Have you hired somebody for your help? I haven't because of the timeline. I have a few people um, kind of around and in, in line um, and I still have yet to meet with them, but I, I haven't felt comfortable doing that because I don't want to promise anything when I just don't know. Once I get the permits, I have about five weeks worth of work too. So it's, the space is being built out completely from scratch. Like it's a, a vanilla box right now. So you might take that skill set into consideration when yeah. you're looking at who you're hiring and really look for somebody who's exhibits the ability to set and maintain boundaries. And honestly, like that's, that's important. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, like what business you're in, you want people with good boundaries um, working for you for sure. But when you consider, you know, this particular uh, piece of the work that you want to have support with, then it becomes even more important. And I do know too that I will be um, slowing down my the nursing home work and cutting back a little bit on that because that it can be a lot. It can be a lot. Um, I've found for a while that that second day, by the time I get to the second day, I'm I can be. It depends on what happened in the first day. You know, I have young kids still, so it depends on what's going on at home too. And so that like that second day is going to be too much. Um, but I'm not. I'm really committed to the one of the locations. I have some favorites there that I'm not ready to let go of, and so um, it'd also be nice to have like the regular income coming in too. But I'm not ready to let go of that, and so there's a little bit of managing being able to keep up with that eight-hour shift. That um, I know that work still has more to teach me, and so keeping that going. And you know, for the ones there's there's one person in particular that I'm really connected with that I work with every week. And so I've just kind of said, you know what, if I just have to drive a half hour and go visit, then that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and that may be part of my nourishing day, to be honest with you, because I get I get a lot of out of that interaction in so many ways. This kind of goes into the the other topic that you mentioned in your intake form, which is around the balance between having these structures, these boundaries, this organization, and then creative space. Mm -hmm. You want to share a little bit more about where you're at with that exploration right now? I mean, it comes up, it's coming up exactly with the permits and such, this idea of creating, getting things in place and getting things moving, but then also understanding that there's only so far I can move something. And so being able to you know, sit with that, you know, for a little bit, for about two weeks, you know, I was more focused on my family and kids going back to school and I wasn't doing a whole lot. And, you know, there was nothing really pressing to do. And so, you know, I've, 
I've been stitching a little bit more. I cross stitch and that's a way of meditation for me. And it gives me a little bit of a creative outlet, but it also just gives me some time to meditate and think too, because I'm just, it's a repetitive movement. And so I had a little more time for that and I'm just enjoying it. The timeline is what really gets me because like, you know, asking, have I, have I looked at people to run the, to run the part of the studio when I'm going to be away and such is that it's like, I have, it's like everything is right there and I can see it, but like how, how far in advance can I pluck things out of this little pile and take them and kind of maneuver them a little bit while I'm still waiting, you know, cause I don't, I don't want to put anybody in a comfortable position too, where I'm like, okay, we're going to be ready to go. And then you've kind of planned on some sort of income and then I'm not following through. And that's a little bit of a fear of mine around it is that, you know, having seen what I've, I've experienced and witnessed in other studios, like I don't, I don't want to be the responsible for that fall down. And that's a really driving factor for me. And like, I'm, I'm like, I'm committed and I'm committed to the space and I'm committed to my, my teachers and whoever's going to be there and my students. So I want to make sure that that shows up, but also gives me space to take care of myself. I was having a little bit of, you know, panic that I realized at one point I was like, I'm not gonna be able to go on vacation for two years. And I'm like, nope, that's not doable. I need to be able to go on a vacation probably next summer. And it may be a, a smaller vacation. It may be closer, but that's a goal. So that way I'm set up to make sure I can do that because I'm going to need to do that. I think that just by having the awareness around integrity is what you're talking about, that you want to behave with integrity towards everybody that is involved in the studio, that you don't want to mislead them. You don't want to string them along. I think having that awareness and not just the awareness of the abstract concept of integrity, but the awareness of the, what it takes in a concrete, actionable way to behave with integrity. I think you're ahead of the game because like I said, what I see from many people starting studios is a lot more innocence around what it takes and not having thought through how your actions and then not even your actions, but like your timeline and when you talk to people might impact others. Mm -hmm. That shows a lot of compassion that you're thinking ahead of, well, I don't, you know, like how, how might this uncertainty that I'm experiencing, how can I not burden somebody else with that? I mean, that's, that's really remarkable already. So I would say that, <laughs> that when it comes to integrity, you're, you're really like in the 99th percentile for studio owners already, just by, ha just by having that thought, because many, many, many people, they begin a studio with these beautiful intentions and so much love and so much desire to help people, but not enough grounded, like, you know, clinical research scientist <laughs> approach to thinking through things, right? This is about, you know, thinking ahead to, okay, so this is what I want to create. This is, this is the scientific experiment that I'm running right now. What do I need to think about now that is going to happen five steps down the road that I could prepare for now, or I could do better now. Right. So, so that, that is different. That is, I don't think you have to be too hard on yourself or too worried about this because the main thing is to be honest with people. So if you talk to them and you say, 
this is what I can guarantee you. And this is what I cannot guarantee you. And, and you just share, share with them exactly where you're at, exactly what you've told me, then they have the opportunity to opt in or opt out at any given right. time. Right. And so you can have these conversations with these people because you have the space and time right now. Right. And so you can get a sense for, okay, these three people are maybes and those two people are like, they're not a fit. So I don't you, like, you don't even need to string them along to the point of, you know, like you've given them a definite no, that's actually mm-hmm. kinder than let's have an interview in five weeks. I would say everyone that's on my list is already kind of at that point where I know this will be a, a good fit for this when it, when it happens, if the timing is right. Okay. And that's something that I can actually let the timing take care of is that if it matches up, then I know that this is the time and it may, it may be later that you come or such. Like there's one teacher that I would really love to work with and I got a very kind no. And it was hard because I would love to work with this teacher. And I just said, you know, I said, my door is always open. And so I, I won't, I won't hound you, but if you ever find yourself in a position, I will make room for you. And so that's, and like that level of honesty and clear, like communicate, I'm all about clear communication. And like this, I mean, this is the, the nursing homework is that um, I'm in uncomfortable situations all the time, all the time. And I've had to get, you know, sometimes I'm comfortable. Sometimes I'm a little less uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm still just uncomfortable, but I'm aware of it. And so that I think is what I'm just going to have to kind of rely on navigating through all this. And I have been relying on, you know, is that. I can have difficult conversations. I can listen. I've learned to be a really good listener. And I'm just like, I'm just coming into this as me. And I'm really excited about this. Like when I, when I'm talking about it, I'm like, I feel like my, my joy for this isn't necessarily coming out, but like, I can't wait. Like that was what this was really happening this week for me. It's like, I'm sad. I just want this. And I'm sad. I have to wait (laughs) a little like a child. (laughs) I don't want to wait right now. And you know, I've, we've gone through infertility. This is not a new feeling to me. (laughs) It's a lot, it's a lot better this time around. And so I can see my growth, but I also know that this is just, I think one of my, you know, five major life lessons is this learning to wait. (laughs) You know, there's like just this ability to like follow through. I think it's so important. Like, and I, and that's something that when I work with someone like that, it's like, look at this, it's getting done, you know? And then there's other times where it's like sludging through. Like I had something that got canceled recently and it just, at some point I said, you know what, the universe is very clearly telling me this isn't going to work and I'm fighting it and I'm just going to stop fighting it now. Like I'm, I'm literally fighting to get this out there and I don't, it it took a bit and then it was just like, okay. And you know, it was canceled and it was just like, all right, this is not the right time for it. And I'm, I'm okay. And you know, something else came out of that conversation and other things are going to go. So it's, I do think that having this, you know, overall, like universal trust. Like I've done so much work. I, I do, um, I could do a lot of intuitive work and spiritual work and, um, even like intuitive readings and chakra readings and such too. And I've learned to trust that at so much at a, such a deep level that, that I think that helps too, because it's just like, okay, if it doesn't work, like I know the signs of it not working and I can say, okay, there's a, there's a reason for it. I don't know what it is. And that's coming up with the permits. I'm like, okay, this wasn't supposed to take six weeks. So there's clearly something about the timing that, I know, I know isn't, 
isn't what it is. Like it's going, it's going at this time for a reason. So I have to just wait it out. Cause I know in about three months, I'll understand why this was going in this way. Um, but right now I just got to tolerate the muckiness. I'm really excited for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I am too. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Good. That's how it should be. I mean, gosh, what, what else is there to look for in this world? You know, I mean, if there's so much, it doesn't matter how privileged you are, there's hardship everywhere. Every step of the way, there's hardship. So I think it's so, so important to follow joy. Yeah. If you would have told me 10 years ago, this is where I would have been and I would, I would have never guessed it. I would have never guessed it. And then there's been like conversations along the way where, it's, you know, I've had close friends say, well, you've been planning for this for a while. And I'm like, but I haven't. <laughs> and it's interesting to hear like that outside perspective. I was home with my kids for about six years. And that was when I, you know, I'd been working in clinical research. I finished my master's three weeks before my son was born and didn't go back. And it, um, you know, I didn't quite, I knew that in order to like stop spend less time with them. Um, it had to be something that was really worthwhile to me. And so it, this has come from that. And, you know, I had, I went back part-time and I see clients for Reiki privately. I have a few yoga clients and such. So I, I was able to control my schedule and such. And so with this, like I'm going to be all in and it's nice that it's very close to my home. It's about a six, seven minute walk. Um, and you know, it's also been really cool to see the ways in that the kids are excited. My kids are really excited. My son just read a book about, um, an immigrant family where the daughter was running like a motel with her family and she was running the front desk and he was like, I'm going to be able to run the front desk at the studio. And it, I just had this moment of like, this is going to be really cool for them to see. And you know, they're part of, they're part of my yoga practice and my Reiki practice in some ways and other ways, like, you know, they're kids and they resist it too. And so just to have the opportunity for them to be around all of this, in some ways, like it's part of their life and they don't even realize it. And then in other ways, I feel like it's just going to get richer. And for the community, there's a lot of young kids around here. And I like, I can't wait to have that space with kids too. Um, and, and one of the things that I like to do is help people understand their intuition, help people understand their body. You know, your body's giving you cues all the time. And we don't necessarily follow it or we don't understand what it's saying to us or we don't hear it or even sense it. And so to be able to work with kids at a young age or be providing programs that work with kids to help them understand that, I think it's vital um, and probably give me less work with adults. (laughs) (laughs) How else can I support you? What other questions do you have for me or is there anything else that you want to talk about? In terms of sales and such, let's do that. what are your thoughts on, on sales in terms of yoga? So I, in some ways, want to do a few things on the slow months. Like I know where my slow months are going to be, talking from other business owners. Um, but I also don't want to devalue my product. And so, and I also don't want it to be like, oh, this is a set sale schedule where you know that, um, you know, you can just hold off and get something on sale. I don't know how to, ban- how to manage that. In general, I'm a fan of rewarding commitment. Okay. So I'm a fan of people who are most committed to the space getting 
a lower rate. I'm not such a fan of rewarding people for being uncommitted, like kind of Groupon. Right. Um, and that I'm not really building a transient space. I'm building a community. I'm building a held space. And that is what is going to work for you. I mean, I believe that that is what works for yoga studios in general is that it needs to feel like a home. It needs to feel mm-hmm. like a sanctuary. And when you get people who feel that way, who have an emotional connection with the space, you don't need to run sales for them. Mm-hmm. So I would work on building community and rewarding loyalty, I would put that into place as systems over sales. Yes, you need to get people in the door, but I would not try to get people in the door with a cheap price because when you get people in the door with a cheap price, the people you get in the door are bargain hunters. And there's nothing wrong with a good bargain. I love a good bargain myself. As do I. (laughs) But so there are, Everybody has areas of their life that they're price insensitive to, meaning that some people will spend a lot of money on clothes, but not much on food. Other people will spend a crazy amount of their income on food and wear secondhand clothes and, you know, always have kind of like very outdated tech So everybody has different values and priorities. And I think one of the mistakes that a lot of business owners make, and especially yoga studio owners, is not being clear enough about who is going to really be supported and nourished and, and in turn support and nourish the studio with their presence. Mm -hmm. So a bargain hunter, people who come in and out, that is, if they don't value the studio, then they're, the, the quality of presence that they're going to bring to the studio is not going to be, it's not going to enhance the overall experience of everybody at the studio. So there'll always be people like your ambassadors. There'll always be, some people call them super fans, right? The people who sign up right away for everything that you offer and they always show up and they're always excited and they're always telling their friends about it. So when you get those, and maybe you already have some students like that, I would really look at those people and try to figure out who are they? What makes them tick? What makes them such a valuable member of this community? Mm-hmm. And really, yeah. And really focus on attracting those people and on rewarding them not not necessarily financially. Yes, it could be rewarding them with a cheaper price. But the truth is that if you're attracting the people who what their price insensitive to is yoga and this spiritual community, then the rewards that are going to really help them are not probably even going to be the sales. <laughs> it's going to be like a sense of recognition it's going to be a sense of ownership, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And a sense of continually changing the offerings that meet, to meet their needs too. Because as you're, as you're coming and you're growing through your practice, then your needs in your practice change too. And so that's something, that's something that's really important to me with the workshop offerings that I want to do. You know, I, the original space was about half the size of what I have now. I have about 2,200 square feet which is in New York City, 
no joke. Um, and I have, I right away went with two teaching spaces. So that way I can have workshops and classes ongoing. I have a private, I have a private room as well for, um, Reiki clients and such, and there'll be a fair amount of energy work. But I, I, in hindsight, I know that that first space that I looked at was, I would have outgrown it within probably a year, but I needed that space to know, Hey, I can really do this. Like to put the numbers to the paper and really see that like, this is really feasible. And I have double the space for less less money. <laughs> I mean, I have to do, I have to, I have to put in air conditioning. Yeah. So I don't know that I can say overall is less money, but month to month is definitely less That's money. Awesome. And it's double the space. and gets me everything that I need. Wow. And so like, I, I think that that is something where there hasn't been a place where I've felt held in that way. And I know, I know the community too. Like I'm not really worried about getting people in the door, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm an avenue off of what, like an avenue away from the main avenues. Um, but there's such like a community in Astoria and it's such a neighborhood, you know, they'll, I'll put a couple of posts in the mom groups that I'm in that I've already kind of, you know, done where it's just going to spread. Like that's, you know, I, I'm lucky in that sense. I'm not in more of a suburban or rural area where I have to get, get people in. I don't think it's going to be that. Um, maybe I'm naive, but I don't, I don't think so. There's so like, every time I talk about it with someone, there's just like so much excitement and it's genuine. Like I can, you know, you can tell when someone is genuinely excited and you know, whether it's like for their kids or whether it's for them or, you know, out of the blue, I had someone telling me her, she's going to be sending her husband who's never practiced yoga. And so it's just like, I'm just so excited. (laughs) It sounds like there's a place of opportunity Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it came a little sooner. I thought this was probably about five years down the road. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I guess it's now. I mean, but now has turned into about a year. (laughs) (laughs) I do, I do a lot of manifesting and visualizing. And that's one thing that I know can trip me up sometimes. I get a very clear vision, but there's, there's no time attached to it. So it's like, you see the vision, vision. And I know, I mean, I can walk you around this studio that I will, I know exactly how it's going to look. I know what it's going to feel like. I, you know, I have that whole space and that's also like feeds the excitement. Like it's there. We just got to get there. <laughs> but, um, sometimes it, it becomes tricky because it's like, you don't know, like you see all the pieces, but you don't know the timing. And sometimes the order is a little out, but you know where it's going to go. And that's this whole balance of the planning and the, like the real world part and the logistics of it and living, you know, in a, in a giant city. Like it's just things move slowly here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they move slowly everywhere, honestly. Right, I, I right. really think they do. So to kind of circle back and make sure that we're, I'm answering that question about the sales and the slow time completely, instead of thinking about how to have consistency through the seasons, I would think more about working with the rhythms of the seasons. Mm-hmm. So for example, making sure that there's enough padding in the busy months that it helps cover the slow months. Mm-hmm. Also, for example, you could do something like if you run a training, like a bigger, longer training, do mm-hmm. that in the slow times and even change your schedule around in the summertime when everybody's going out of town, minimize your schedule. Mm-hmm. Like, so minimize the costs of the teachers and the front desk staff and just honor what you know the rhythms of the seasons are going to be because. I think to work with 
that awareness of how things are going to ebb and flow seasonally is going to be so much less stressful than pushing, pushing, pushing to like make that not happen to somehow fill the gap that is like, it's just a reality. Every single yoga teacher, every single yoga studio owner, every single business person that I've ever talked to has been like, yeah, this is real. This is, you know, like, um, maybe you can eventually come up with something like maybe you do a teacher training and you have the deposits for the teacher training due during that time period or who knows, I don't know what you're going to come up with, but I would start by having a plan that honors those rhythms Mm -hmm. and I would not try to fill the gaps with lower quality, not quality as humans, but quality as far as a fit for the environment people. Well, and that's, I mean, that's something that I was thinking about recently, especially with having gone through the end of August. Like I know August is a tough month in the neighborhood and um, the last two weeks, there's no camps and such for, for kids. And so one of my thoughts recently was like, I may just close for the last week in August and just close the studio um, with, you know, enough notice, like letting people know, because I understand as a contractor too, that, you know, I know I don't get paid if I take time off, but to allow people to plan for it. And then that's just like a week where we're closed I can get in the vacation that I know I'm going to need. And it's honoring the rhythm that, like, you know, let's, I don't know. It's been something I've been, there are a number of family owned businesses in the area. There's a lot of small, small businesses and there are, you know, sometimes they're off to Greece for a month and the the place is closed or three weeks and such. So it's not unheard of in the neighborhood either. So it may, it may be something that I consider, you know, I've also considered the complete opposite of like, maybe I'll figure out a camp that I want to run during that time. So the kids have somewhere to go, you know? (laughs) Totally. I think both of those are really, yeah, I think both of those are really valid, valid options. Um, You know, I would, if there's a need for a camp, what a great opportunity to fill a need and, you know, fill a gap in your in your schedule. And if there isn't a need for a gap, so this is where market research comes in. This is where really talking to people who you potentially think would take advantage of this camp and, and, you know, there's, there's market research and then there's market validation. So with the market research, you just talk to people and you get their verbal, um, a sense of their verbal excitement. Market validation would be more like something like get a deposit Okay. How many, you know, like if you give a deposit by this time, you get a, you get a discount, right? So you have mm-hmm. a motivation, a reason to give a deposit. And then you see how many deposits did I get? If you thought that the camp was going to get you, if you thought you were going to get like 10 deposits, cause it's like a really great deal. Cause it's the first time you're running it and you got two, then you can easily return those deposits and say, this, this didn't have the, you know, didn't have the energy behind it that I thought it was going to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's something I'm learning too. You know, this was an exercise in this, um, in the past few weeks of, you know, when to cancel and being okay canceling. It's interesting. Cause it's been bringing, there's been a little bit around like failure and such, like everybody fails, everybody fails. And like, I think I just don't see my failure as fail. It's just like a learning experience. And I've been kind of sitting with that. Like, am I, you know, what's my relationship to that? Cause everyone's like, everyone fails. And I was like, I don't, I don't feel like I've ever really failed, but I also feel like I, it's because I'm always taking what I'm learning and doing it in a different way next time or, you know, or choosing not to do it. Well, that's just a healthy relationship with failure. <laughs> I just don't call it that. 
that's not the word. I got plenty of words that come in my head, but it's not that one. Well, that's <laughs> fine because the way, the word <laughs> failure is the word <laughs> failure is fraught, right? It's yeah. You know, there's so much baggage with the word failure. So if you don't want to use it, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I, just, I give you permission to say, I don't fail, I learn. <laughs> I needed to verbally work that out. So I appreciate it. <laughs> that, and that's what it is. It's like, oh yeah, that didn't really work out. So yeah, that now I know that that's, there's some ties there. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's so cool because that I feel like is one of the hugest, hugest roadblocks that holds people back is a feel like if they try something once and it didn't work, that it's not meant to work and they're not good at it. And it's, you know, like they just stop, they just quit. So if you have the willingness to learn from the things that don't work, then I can't see you, I can't see you not succeeding. Thanks. Yeah. Well, any final last nuances or questions that you were hoping to cover that we didn't touch on? No, I think, um, I think you addressed some things that I had been kind of feeling and didn't, didn't know. Like the, the talk about the ambassadors of the studio was really helpful for me because there's, there's a number of them and I've seen it through my Reiki practice too, is that I, I get a lot of word of mouth. Um, and I do value that. And I like, that's something, that's something I want. Like I've kind of, when I started seeing clients for Reiki, I set out, I don't want to have to like advertise and put this out there. Um, I want this to be word of mouth and it's worked. <laughs> and so I think that, and that, that's how I want to feel in a studio too. I want to feel that connection to the, the people there. I want to feel the connection to the classes. I want to feel this connection to the space and the teachers and that your use of the word ambassador really, yeah, that's what it is. So thank you. That was really helpful. Yeah, you're welcome. Sometimes it helps to just talk it through and hear it in somebody else's language. <laughs> and outside of my circle, that's also helpful yeah. too, you know, yeah. yeah, a different perspective. Well, I'm really excited for you, Kim. I hope that you'll come back in a year or so and do like an update and let us know how it goes. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are, and that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And thank you also to each of you who listen all the way to the end, and most especially to those of you who leave reviews and who reach out to me to let me know that the podcast has impacted you and helped you. I'm grateful to get to support you and your teaching through the podcast, through workshops, trainings, and one-on-one -on -one strategy sessions. If you'd like to find out more about working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can do that at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. Until next week, just a friendly reminder to prioritize your personal practice and whatever you do, whatever works for you for self-care so that you have the resources to be able to help others and be there for others. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.